Welcome to BBM. I got my lively co-host today, Christina Stanton. If you want to mute yourself, feel free. Boing. Hi, how are you? Hi, how's it going? Nice to have you join me today on this, how do I say, on ordinary podcast. Because normally on a Saturday, it's music podcast, so I have musicians on, but today i got a guest on. So welcome, you're a special person. Oh. You're a special person, you. Special. Yeah. Yeah, so, um, hi, Christina. My sister's actually named Christina. So it's also a... Actually, I've got, like, I've had, like, guests on that. I've got the same, you know, I've got a big family. And they've all got the same names as my family members. So I'm like, wow, you're named that too. That's amazing. Christina is a great international name. Yeah, yeah. You know, in every country that seems to be a Christina. So that's a good, it's a good solid name. Yeah, I love it. So anyway, where are you from, Christina? So I'm originally from the state of Florida. Ooh. And I've lived up in New York City since I was 23. Okay. Have you adopted the New York attitude now? <laughs> Get out of the way. You know, it depends on the day. No, uh, I would say I'm a great mix of a Southern American culture and New York City culture. I, I think I'm a perfect mix. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. I can hear nice and, but you know, I you can't you can't uh, you, you you can't uh, you can't be too rude to me, and I'm not going to say something. So it's a perfect mix. Okay, so which Southerners one do you are like that too. You can't be rude to Southerners either. That's that's true. Which one do you prefer? I don't know if you're allowed to answer this question. Which one do you prefer, Florida or New York? For just from my, my personality, New York City. It's just uh, suits me a little bit better. But I'm one of these. Have you, do you know much about the Enneagram? Who? <laughs> Enneagram, it's a personality test. Uh-oh. So, I'm, uh, so I'm an Enneagram seven, which likes a lot of, of activity and they have fear of missing out. And okay. so that's. So you're like an extrovert. Yeah, I'm probably the same as you then. That's, we're probably about the same. I'm gonna yeah. have to check that up, and I'll, I'll let you know what where I rank. Okay. Yeah, is seven, is, is seven the highest, or is it eight, <laughs> nine? Nine is ten? the highest. Nine is the highest. I'm probably around there, seven to nine. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't really work like that, but you actually do act like a seven. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't even want to go to sleep most of the time. Like I'm not sleeping. I got things to do. I, I might miss something, you know. And I got a daughter who's probably exactly the same. Actually, she never goes to sleep. She doesn't want to sleep, and she's only seven. Yeah, crazy. that's it. Or do you do that like squirrel? You know what I mean by that, right? You get distracted because there's stuff going on around yeah, you. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're a that's seven. It. That's it. Um, yeah, I'm definitely seven. I don't even have to do tests. Fun though. You don't want to be anything else. Sevens have a lot of fun. We value <laughs> fun. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So, actually, just quickly, you're from, you're in New York, Florida. I think that's like one of the four big states, isn't it? You got like, I would say California and It's a Texas. popular state. It's Texas. A pop- it's not a boring state. It's one of those yeah. states where everybody, any, any type of person you can find in the United States, some, there's, there's somebody represented in the state of Florida. Yeah. It's a very diverse state. Yeah. So anyway, why you reached out to me? Because you've, I don't know. I think you got the look of the devil. If I'm allowed to say that, I don't know if you're a religious person. You're religious. Yeah. Because you got, you got the look of Jesus. 
Wait, wait. So wait, wait. Let me get this straight. <laughs> Do I have the look of the devil or the look no, of Jesus? Those no, are definitely different things. Sorry, I said the the look, the look of Jesus. <laughs> I'm afraid. You know, I'm afraid to ask what I look like. So no, no, so not. Listen. Sorry, I'm saying I'm I'm saying look. I'm sorry if my accent is, is getting over here, but you're lucky. Okay. You okay. get it. Yes, I, said, I get it. You're lucky. You don't look like Jesus. You're lucky like Jesus, or you've got the look of the devil. <laughs> Let's just say that um, I, I do love my Jesus. I love yeah. my Jesus. Okay. So we'll keep it like that. You, you got the look of the Jesus, or the Jesus, or the Jesus. Um, you was um, you happened to be around when that tragedy happened on 9-11. It was. Uh, can you run us? I mean, you might as well start from the beginning. Uh, I don't know how close you was to it or if you was in the building, but you, you, let us know. Yeah, tell yeah, us the story. Sure, sure. You know, really, the story comes from where my husband and I were living. So we, we were living six blocks away from the World Trade Center complex in lower Manhattan. So we lived at a, a building called 21 West. So again, six blocks away. And we had actually just moved there. We'd only moved there two months before. So our stuff was still in boxes. We were newlyweds. We were, I think, 31, 30, 35, I think. But we had just, we were just kind of starting out life together. And I was really happy to be down in lower Manhattan. In my single days, I lived in Times Square. And Times Square is fabulous. But um, I'm, I'm a licensed New York City tour guide. So I've been a tour guide since 1995. So I guess it would have been, what, eight years by then? And I, do, I did a lot of tours. And I still do. I'm still a licensed New York City tour guide. I did a lot of tours in Lower Manhattan, like Wall Street and Statue of Liberty, blah, blah, blah. That's where you, that's where you get all those historic areas, which is down there. So I was like, this is great. I worked on here, meaning I'm a tour guide. I give walking tours of this area all the time. And I now live here. So it's, 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 it's all fabulous. It's all coming together. And I met this wonderful man. And we were happy. Everything was good. We had found this, well, my husband actually had found this wonderful apartment on the 24th floor. So we had this wonderful terrace. And I don't know how it is where you live, but, but outdoor space, private outdoor space is, is rare. I'm like, like there's yeah. not a lot of terraces that people have. In fact, I, I think when we, when we got the, the apartment, I was, I'd never been on somebody's terrace before. So I was like, wow, this is awesome. But what was really awesome about that terrace, the fact that we had one, we had this incredible view. So we had literally a beeline uh, picture of, of the Twin Towers. And I think I have a picture real quick of what our view looked like. Let's see if I can see that real quick. Oh, dadgum, I didn't bring it up. Well, I'll tell you what, you'll have, <laughs> see those, you'll have you can see those pictures on my website. <clears throat> they're, all, they're all there on my book website. So at any rate, so we had this wonderful view of the Twin Towers. And so that morning of 9-11, I was actually still asleep. My husband ran into the bedroom and shook me awake and said, something happened, something happened uh, in the North Tower. Come to the terrace. Let's see what's going on. So we ran out into the terrace mm -hmm. and it was like this crazy, like you're watching this wide, big screen TV. And the North Tower was on fire and you could see smoke coming out on, on either side of the building from, from our vantage point. And of course it's shocking. I mean, to see, even if you saw a two-story building on fire, you'd be shocked. That's it, that's Not it. We were so young 
fucking cute. Look how cute we were. How young. I mean, so, he's still so, cute now, but obviously they had you from the side. Yeah. So, something. but yeah, so I was, I guess, 31 there and my husband was 35. And, you know, that was, we only have one picture of us on that terrace. And mm. the, the twin towers in the background were so tall that we actually couldn't capture those towers in one shot. But that lops off about 30 floors. I mean, that's how tall those things were. I mean, people don't understand they were 110 floors, a quarter mile in the sky. They were a massive that's building. Because so to see a building that that monstrous on fire, it's it's the worst thing in the world, right? And you also knew that was affecting so many people. But we did think that was a bomb, that somebody had snuck a bomb in the building. You know, we didn't see that that plane come into the tower and mm. they weren't reporting much. We didn't even uh, really like turn on, you know, the media to find out what was going on because it mm. all happened so fast. So right over our right-hand shoulder, the second plane came, flew right over us, turned about eight o'clock and two o'clock, I call it, and went right in the South Tower. Mm. And, you know, the sh we were so close to those buildings and that plane was moving so fast that it actually the shock waves blew us back into our apartment and knocked me out. Whoa. So it was, um, it was a physical first, you know, to see something like that. It's just so shocking and, and um, unexplainable. Your body almost can't take it in. Mm -hmm. But, but then again, it, it, um, it blew us back into the building. And ever since then, my hearing hasn't been the same. I, I need to be wearing hearing aids every day. I just, I just don't get around to it, but I woke up with my dog literally like jumping on me. It, my, our dog was, was just completely was, was a, as upset as we were. He That's knew sure. something bad had just happened. And we ran down the 24 flights. And, you know, if you know anything about the topography of, of Manhattan, it's an island. Mm, yeah. And we were at the very end, right? The very, very tip of Manhattan is a 25 acre park called Battery Park. Right. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, when, when there's danger around you, of course, your inner alarm says, get as far away as you can from the danger. So mm -hmm. for us, the far away was Battery Park. You know, you see a lot of people walking north or walking across the Brooklyn Bridge. Mm -hmm. But since we were kind of caught south of the Twin Towers, south is what we had to go to. So we thought, you know, all of the danger is north, don't go north. So south, but here's the problem. Once you get south in Battery Park, you're surrounded by water. Right? You have the Hudson you have the East River and you have the New York Harbor. So you're surrounded mm -hmm. by water once you get there. But that was okay because we thought that, that we were totally safe once mm -hmm. we got there. So when we got to Battery Park, of course, I'm wearing my pajamas. We ran <laughs> out in a hurry, right? And no shoes. No right? shoes. Who does that? <laughs> yeah, that's how that's how crazed. And and also, I, I, I think that when I got knocked out, it, I hit my head pretty hard. And I, mm -hmm. I feel like I was kind of half-masked for the rest of the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, At any rate, so we're down there. Uh, I, I put on my husband's socks and in my pajamas. And so the Twin Towers came down all around us. And yeah. uh, so we really weren't safe at all. For one thing, if they had fallen lengthwise in any direction, they would have killed so many more people. But they imploded, which was actually a blessing. But mm. we all thought that because it sounded like it was it was falling towards us so people mm. went nuts they pitched themselves into the new york harbor and tried to swim to governor's island it was just this crazy horrible scene but all of a sudden we were covered with the dust and debris yeah. and i do actually again have some pictures of that what that looks like on my on my website but it looked like we were in some kind of a snow globe do you know what that is if they yeah, yeah, so, yeah. something else so 
it was insane. We couldn't breathe. And that was, again, we thought that we might be nearing our end. We couldn't find a place to breathe. That's it. In fact, you know, this interesting guy took these pictures. A lot of people weren't taking cell phone pictures at the time because cell phones were still pretty new. Yeah. But this one guy, Scott, had the frame of mind, had had his you know faculties together enough to take these pictures. And I'm so glad he did. He actually left and moved to Australia not too long after 9-11. I understand. Um, but anyway, that's Scott, and and but that's what it looked like. It was it, it you know you just couldn't you were just trying to find an air pocket in which to breathe, and it was it was mad chaos. And so right there is where we found ourselves. Is that is behind the World Financial Center, which is across the street from the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. So you know another element that a lot of people don't think of, of that day is that it sparked a huge amount of fires, okay? So in fact, a lot of people don't know the last fire was put out 90 days after 9-11. So not until Yep, yep, yep. It's a fact that a lot of people don't know. And so the fires were just just incredible. They were raging and the, the black smoke came to Battery Park. It literally like this, it was like a wall of smoke. And again, a lot of screams, people pitching themselves into the water because we were trapped at that point. So mm-hmm. what we thought was safety it turned out to be a place where we were trapped. Oh. And my husband and I did say goodbye to each other. I just, you know, in that kind of situation, you're just hoping that at the end is near, that it, you, if you go quick, that you're not in, in any pain. And I remember feeling actually very happy that I was with my husband because mm-hmm. cell phones weren't working. So all of these people who were in the worst situation of their lives, for one thing, didn't know what was going on. Mm-hmm. None of our cell phones were working. We'd all we'd all evacuated from our apartments for so we couldn't see the TV. It was happening to us, and people watching on TV knew more about what was going on than us. It was happening to, mm-hmm. and our cell phones weren't working. So a lot of people were out with without their babies, without their children, without their spouses, and we're just alone. And that's it. I just remember just being so glad I was with my husband because I was aware that all those people were probably alone without their loved ones, enduring mm-hmm. this hell, hell on earth. So we found ourselves in that last picture that, that you uh, put up and we were trapped, nowhere to go, still trying to breathe and still feeling we were in danger. And all of a sudden I look out on the Hudson and there were all these boats that were coming up the Hudson. And I, I'm, I'm a tour guide. I, I do tours on boats. I see boats all the time, but this was just this huge flotilla of, of just of tugboats and party boats and ferries and, uh, dinner cruises, you know, any kind of boat was coming up. So unbeknownst to me, the Coast Guard, the U.S. Coast Guard knew that there were thousands of people that were trapped where we were. Mm-hmm. And they had let out a CB radio call saying, hey, boat owners, boat operators, go over and start picking people up. I don't care where you take them, pitch them off anywhere you want to, but we got to get these people off this island because they're trapped and they're, they're in danger. So all of they, they didn't know if anybody would respond. And then all of these boats responded. I even heard, I've never, never exactly see, seen any pictures of it, but I've heard even canoes, people brought over canoes. <laughs> and I mean, we're talking, they really did respond. And we were taken off the island and dropped off in New Jersey. And only probably a, a year or two later, did I hear that we were one of 500,000 people who were taken off the island of Manhattan that day. And it was the largest boat evacuation in history, even larger wow. than Dunkirk. Okay. So, and it's one of those stories that I think um, hasn't hit the media 
so well, even though I know that this year being the 20th anniversary, they're going to be doing lots and lots of specials on that particular, what you would call a sub story of 9-11, yeah. but it's a beautiful story of how people really came together to, to try to help, help, you know, their fellow man in trouble. We were dropped off in New Jersey and we ended up spending the night in a hotel, but, but we weren't in the lap of luxury. You got to understand we were still, I was still slumming around in my pajamas. I was completely yellow. My, my husband, my dog, uh, it was, a, it was, we barely were able to eat anything all day. It was just this crazy situation. I don't know New Jersey myself very well. So we were also dropped off in an area. We didn't know what was going on. I didn't have my purse. Thank goodness. My husband had the, the presence of mind to, to, to grab his wallet. But the next day we got back into Manhattan and the mayor had, had made a mandate that everybody had to vacate lower Manhattan. Mm. So we were, we were two of 25,000 people who live in neighborhoods around the attack zone who weren't allowed to go home for a couple of weeks. So we just kind of, to tell you the truth, couch surfed for a couple okay. of weeks. And so we couch surfed and you know, I, that's where I, I talk about in my book where I just was amazed at the generosity of mm. New Yorkers who, my goodness, I mean, I went to donation depots to get toiletries and food and New Yorkers just went nutty dropping off things at donations. Some, mm. some random girl that I never even met donated her apartment for us to stay in. Okay. I mean, she nice. didn't even come back to find if we'd burn the place down or <laughs> silver or anything like that. So um, that was actually lovely to see New Yorkers be so helpful and wonderful to all of us who were displaced. And then when we got back to the apartment, it was, it really wasn't livable. And so to tell you the truth, we, we ended up renting a car and, and, and driving down to Florida okay. and staying with my mom until the next January. We were already kind of sh showing signs of PTSD. Yeah. We needed to get away. We needed to collect ourselves. We got some therapy. Our dog almost died uh, in 9-11 because, you know, that dust and debris yeah. was toxic. He, yeah. had licked, he had licked it off the ground, tried to lick it off his fur. It was ground up glass. It had shredded his insides. Oh. He was hovering between life and death for a couple of weeks. It just, we just needed to get away, collect ourselves. Our dog did mm -hmm. recover from that. And then lastly, my husband found out one of his good friends died in the North Tower. So oh. I just, for us, it just kind of went on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, years later, I wrote a book about our experience, but I, I wrote about it from the perspective of a, a resident of the neighborhood in which 9-11 happened, mm -hmm. because I'd never seen a book from that perspective. And I just mm -hmm. thought that it, I'm just adding a voice to what happened that day, just from a, a, a different viewpoint. But um, yeah, it was... Um, it was, it was a game changer for us. It, it, it's still, um, I, I say it's kind of back, background noise in our lives to this day. Yeah. Um, actually, just quickly, your, your, about the coming together of people. I remember when I was in Japan and I spoke to some of the locals there. And uh, obviously they had that big earthquake in 2011. You remember it, the tsunami? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I don't think it was in Japan. I think it started off in Indonesia or Bali or somewhere, and it went across to Japan and killed a lot of people. Um, Hyasan? Anyway, I know what you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, um, I remember speaking to them. They were like, they were so surprised how the people came together and really just, you know, it takes, it's, it's weird how, like, if you look at today and you see all the killings and everything going on, and you think, why did it take a disaster to get people to come together why can't we just come together and anyway, actually we are in a constant disaster actually when you look at the way things are running here on the planet especially with your second episode obviously the whole disease that's going on at the moment this virus 
Um, so I just don't understand why people needed to go so far before they're like, okay, actually, maybe we should um, <laughs> love our neighbors. I have to say, though, somebody, somebody mentioned to me yesterday that they had heard that, oh, yeah, that's right. They had gone to New York, they had visited New York, and they had a cab driver who said that, that, that people in New York City were actually very friendly, and they've been friendly since 9-11. And that person had asked me if I found that was true. I said, absolutely, because I lived in New York City years, about eight years before the attacks. And yeah, I thought it was a pretty cold city. I thought it was, I thought it was tough. I thought people kind of looked out for themselves and that was just the culture. And I just moved there from Florida. So I thought it was the culture. And I, I didn't think it was great to, to not extend yourself for your fellow man, but I thought, oh, well, that's just the way it rolls here, right? But after 9-11, I'm telling you, people were so uh, so bonded through that experience yeah. that I'm telling you, to this day, it is a different New York than it was before 9-11. To this day, I believe that very much. Actually, now I've been to New York, actually. I was in New York, uh, I think a year after 9-11. Mm, interesting. So I saw, like, the, obviously the, the rubbles and stuff. You was probably already gone by then. Um, and I drove past and I was telling us about it and I was like, whoa, look at this, man. I was just in awe. You know, you in New York the first time, you're like, wow, this is a great yeah. place. You know, I see it on TV all the time. Yeah, it's a cool city. It's a cool city. And I do think people there are super friendly. They, they, they do want to help. If you're lost, if you're a tourist, everybody just steps in to help. What, help, what also helped with that is our mayor initiated a certain number that you could dial if you saw a non-emergency. So for instance, we have 911, but he initiated 311. So for instance, you were supposed to be on the lookout for more terrorists. If you saw a backpack in the road, that's where you're supposed to call 311 and report that, hey, there's a back, and I actually did that at one point, there's a backpack at the corner of Broadway and uh, Leonard, uh, can you send somebody over to check it out? And people realized, you know, the more aware we are of our surroundings and of each other, that means the safer you're going to be. So I think people also kind of just saw themselves in this is like, well, me helping to keep everybody self as safe as keeping me safe. So there was something in it for them. But whatever the motivation, I, I, I think New York is a very friendly place. Yeah, sure. I mean, um, so that must have been really scary, though. Like, you're running away. I'm bad to handle it, but yeah. Uh, you're running away. Obviously, smoke and fogs everywhere, and you, you don't know what's going on. It's like, okay. Right. And what you just said about, you know, you said goodbye to your husband, man, that really hit me. I don't know if you saw that on my face, but I was like, wow. You know, because I always have this fear. You know, I've got three kids, I've got a wife, and I always feel like, what if, you know, something happens, you know it's your last moment, and you've got to say to them, look, you're not going to make it. We're not going to make it. This is it. You know, I can imagine for you guys, that was probably the moment where, you know, reality sets in. You think someone's attacked. I don't, actually, you know, you watch all these movies like uh, The Day After Tomorrow or whatever, and you see all these big waves coming in and, and you start thinking, what if I'm in this situation? This situation what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And, I, and you had that, you lived that experience once. Well, maybe even twice, actually. When we get to the second story, yeah, man, that's uh, just gonna get out of the chest. No, I'm not gonna cry or anything. Second, 
It's a, it's tough. It is tough. It, 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 again, like my husband and I don't even have children. We have our dog and, mm-hmm. but still it's, it's, I can't imagine all these parents who a lot of them weren't, weren't even with their children. Mm-hmm. I mean, you imagine there were nursery schools where, where the, basically the, the, the caretakers all of a sudden were in charge of all these babies lives mm-hmm. because there was tons of schools near the attack zone, a ton of them. And just, it just must've been hell for parents, absolute hell and, and hell for teachers and principals to know what to do next with, with all of these kids in their care. But it, it is so daunting to, to feel that you're in such bodily danger. And also we live in the age of information. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're used to knowing what's going on at, you know, around the world at, at any point. It, again, it was happening to us and we had no idea what was going on. That was so daunting. That was so scary. We didn't have access, access to cell phones. So I have to say, you know, that could happen again when cell systems get overloaded and mm. they, they, uh, cell, the cell, the whole cell system explodes and, and so we can't, we can't call and talk to each other and communicate with each other. So after that, my husband and I definitely came up with an exit plan should that ever happen and and our cell phones aren't working. So we have a place where we're gonna meet and we'll somehow find our, our way there. But it's in this day and age, it's it's really good to have some kind of a, a strategy yeah. and some kind of a, uh, here's what you do in this situation because uh, if, if, if we can't talk to each other because it could happen and that, but that really was a, a terrible feeling of not being able to talk to people and not to mm. be able to contact loved ones. Again, I was very aware that people were going through that and I was very happy that I was with my husband. Actually, you know what, saying that, um, I don't know if this happened in this case, but I'm not, I had, um, oh, what was his name? He wrote, um, he, he did the film, The Last House Standing. I can't remember his name. He doesn't come back to me at the moment. Uh, he said that, Obviously, one of these big hurricanes that came through. Um, where was it? Was it? In, it was in Florida too, I guess. And um, there was one house that stood, took out all the houses. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. Yeah, I've seen that picture too. It's, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, that's dark. that's very the dark. Yeah, yeah. And he said that they shut off the the mobile networks and the power. So I'm wondering if that's something they do. It's protocol that they say, okay, if something big happens like this, we shut off the um, the mobile networks or the, even the power just in case. Right. So. But, but you know, our, I think recently our cell, um, an area in the United States, the cell, the cell network went down. I'm trying to think of what had happened. It was like two or three years ago. But if, again, if everybody gets on their cells, cell mm. service will crack. And, yeah. and then, so, I mean, it's, it's not an, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a reality that we can't completely rely on our electronics. Mm. Yeah. You know, we have to have, an escape plan, an exit plan, and be resourceful for, for when and if that happens. Mm-hmm. But it was uh, it was very daunting. And, and the, the, the idea is that you're not in control and and you might be on the precipice of, of dying. That is yeah. that is a, a daunting you know thought and it's and it is scary. And I've been through that twice. And again you're just you're just wanting it to be you're wanting it to be quick. You don't want to suffer. You don't want people around you suffering. And you're almost going through like a mental Rolodex of, okay, so what, what do I, if these are my last moments, what, what does that mean? What, what do I want for my last thoughts? And Mm -hmm. in both cases, that's what I thought of like, how do I want to go? 
how, what, do I want to go fighting? Do I want to go mad? Do I want to go peacefully? Like, how do I go? Like you just, you just want, you're, you're trying to do again, a whole mental checklist of, of, you know, if I'm in this situation, what, what, uh, what do I need to do to be able to feel like I'm, I'm leaving in, in the best place possible. And I've been through that twice and it's, it's pretty something. She's saying that, um, at when my friend, my friend was actually in Japan, um, when that whole tsunami took place and he told me what he did on the, on the day, cause he didn't know, but he was not, he's not really someone who's scared of death. He said, he just sat down in the middle of the street and just prayed and that was it. And the people were going past him saying, Hey, you got to get up. You, you, you shouldn't stay here. He was like, no, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I think that's that this inner peace that you have, you know, it's like some people right. are like that. You right. know? I mean, right. I'd be kicking and screaming. No, no. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> Right. And I remember, I remember when things got really hairy down in Battery Park with the smoke and the dust and the debris and not being able to smell uh, and, and to breathe. I, I remember I saw this one girl crying and she was the only one that was crying. There was no one else around her crying. We were all in such a survivor mode. It's almost like a lot of instincts had turned off in order to just try to get through. I remember looking at her thinking, that it was the strangest thing in the world that she was crying right now. But it's just so, it's so interesting of how we all react in yeah. these kind of extreme situations. She probably lost her phone or something like, I've lost my, oh, my wallet, I've lost my wallet. You're like, the world's crumbling around you. Yeah, but I need my wallet. You can imagine some of the entitled people today are like that actually. You know. And I'm not, not making fun of her. I just didn't. I uh, crying was the last thing from my yeah. mind. Yeah, definitely, so, definitely. Yeah. Um, I had turned off by them. Definitely, one one thing you survival plan should be a CB or walkie talkies. Definitely, right, right. Yeah, that's definitely yes. what you need because yes, they always work. Really. They always work, and as long as you got one of those, you pretty much keep in contact with everyone, even the military. So. Well, you know what they said after 9/11 is that you should put together almost like a pack. Yeah. Or a backpack of things that you would need. And I mm-hmm. did. It's still here in my in my closet. But there's there's face masks, there's wa- there's lots of water, there's there's cash, there's a credit mm-hmm. card. There is uh there are uh, at one point at least I thought they were C B radios. But yeah, I have I have different things in there, just like you just want to go, you know, just grab and go. Nah. That's an amazing story. That's um really interesting to see or hear your story, personal story as well from a first-hand point of view that's really nice okay so the next story was i guess it was more recent obviously because we're still in the we're still amongst things uh covid so you managed to did you beat it or did it take your life i don't know how how does it work because i'm still trying to figure it out i'm like oh you're still there yeah i'm still trying to figure this covid thing out so a virus came from china somehow infected the every corner of the world in a matter of weeks and i don't know i don't know so please tell me tell me so so in march of 2020 last year uh there were rumblings at the beginning of march that it was coming that it was going to be bad there were rumblings but it was when the city started shutting down it was still a shock and i still think we Everyone was just shocked that this was happening. That shocked that it was here. It was it was about killing people. And but I, I remember just kind of like looking around. I'm a tour guide. I had a whole year packed full of tours. I tour mm-hmm. every, almost every day of my life, unless I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. And 
all my tours, all of a sudden, kaboom, they all went away mm. and they were canceled. And literally walking on the street and watching, watching business owners take metal grates and pull them down and lock them as mm. if they're getting ready for a typhoon or a hurricane mm. was, uh, was really freaky. And I honestly, I contracted it right away, you know, with that huge wave that killed so many people in those early days in New York. So mm -hmm. I knew I was COVID positive, I believe by March 17th, if I remember correctly. And I have to backtrack a little here. If you remember, we, I said we were covered by dust and debris when mm -hmm. the towers came down, they basically pulverized and, and formed this, this toxic dust that had wood and, and human remains and uh, electrical equipment and ground up glass. And, you know, again, my dog licked himself. That's one of the reasons why he almost died because it was, was toxic mix and a harmful mix. And so a lot of people have, have um, who, who survived 9-11, who were down in lower Manhattan, people who worked on the pile, rescue workers, they have contracted cancers mm. because it, it hurt their health because they were breathing in this toxic you know, just horribleness. And did you know that we have just crossed the threshold of those who, uh, there's been more people who died from the toxins, inhaling the toxins, than people who died that day. I can imagine. But not a lot of people know that. There's almost 3,000 mm -hmm. people who died on 9-11. There's been just over 3,000 people who have died since mm -hmm. of the cancers related to the toxins. And they, they have counted over, I think, 60 or 70 cancers that are related to it. Wow. You have heard that, did you say? I, I've, um, I do know that. Like, for example, when you said something about people jumping in the river, I'm wondering how many people actually did die from that. Because I know there's a 3,000 from the building. But I'm sure there's many more people who couldn't swim People were jumping out of the tower. Well, they were part of the building, I guess. I don't think it was probably a lot. How um, there is a new a new uh, video by Vice that mm. um, it, it's a it's a basically a short video of a retelling of the boat evacuation, mm. and one of the boat captains talked about going around in boats and plucking people out of the New York Harbor who had tried to do that. Yeah. So that would be that would be interesting to to know, but. I do happen to know that a, they, a lot of them were, were pulled out of the river, you know, mm. so th at least that's a good thing. And, and, and the Coast Guard was aware that people were doing such a thing. Mm. But at any rate, so a lot of people have died from, from, from cancers and our health has been compromised in different ways too. And we know that it's related. Now, a lot of people think that if, peop if uh, people have died from the cancers, it's the people who work on the pile, rescue workers, uh, construction workers, but actually it, it was quite a few of, of us as from residents to, to students, to mm -hmm. tourists, to employees. So, so um, yeah, it's affected a lot of people. And so I got a bad case of COVID and yeah. I believe I got a bad case because my immune system was compromised from 9-11. So in my mind, they're actually related calamities. Mm -hmm. I don't think I would have gotten COVID as bad if I hadn't been through 9-11. Right. So, yeah. So I was hospitalized twice mm -hmm. and oh. I was told that I had a 50% chance of surviving and it was bad. It was, it was bad. I, I definitely at one point felt close to death. I literally felt that my body was, was shutting down mm -hmm. and my mind was doing some weird stuff. It was almost like it was, it was pulling away from mm -hmm. the earth. It was just shutting down. And I think it was, it was a close, very close call for me. I don't think I'll get as close to dying until I actually die <laughs> as, close as it gets. 
that it was um, another thing that you don't hear a, a lot about, but it was a painful experience. It was, oh. it was just pain. It, mm. it, I've never hurt so bad in my life, my whole body. And it just, um, yeah, I still have to this day what they call long haul syndrome. Mm -hmm. So I never did regain things like my sense of taste and smell. I have nerve damage um, issues. I have some digestive, digestive tract issues. Oh, God. So, but I will say, I mean, I don't want to sound whiny. I truly am glad to be here because I, mm -hmm. even now I realize how close that, that came for me. And I'm just glad that I survived it. But it was, it was a close call and it was definitely no fun. And, you know, in those early days in March, when I, um, when I caught it, there was so little known mm -hmm. about, about it, what it would do to your body. They, uh, they, oh, in America, they, they were talking about this particular drug, um, hydroxychloroquine that was supposed to, <laughs> to, to, to cure you. And actually I, uh, the hospital gave it to me, which was fine. I would have taken cyanide if, if, that, <laughs> if I was going to get better from that. And it was so, I, I didn't care what it was obviously. And, um, my body had such a bad allergic reaction to really? that, that it, it, it helped me along the path of them thinking I might die. Right. Oh, so it was, it was, it did the opposite for me. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it was just one of those, it was such an experimental early days and nobody really knew what was going on or how to treat, or if there was anything to treat. And it was definitely a, a scary time because people were dying all around me. And of course you heard what, a, how awful it was in New York. I mean, people were literally dying everywhere around New York. So it was, it was, um, uh, it, being, being in the, I, I kind of felt like a Guinea pig, right? Like yeah, sure. Because in March, I was, I was the first of, of almost all of my Facebook friends or all my friends. I was definitely like the first person they knew to get mm -hmm. it. And they're like, oh my God, it, it, you know, I could tell that they were shocked because they, were, because they still felt that it was far away. Mm -hmm. But when I got it, people were like, nope, it's here. You know, so, so it was, um, yeah, I, I felt alone and isolated because, yeah. because we, we were so, so new to it. And the whole virus was so new in the United States or new to us, meaning it was, we all know now that was there in 2019, mm -hmm. right? But, um, but it was just, the whole thing was such a shock. You know, actually, I think um, I think I actually had it as well, but not like you. I didn't, I didn't, it didn't kill me or anything. Um, I got sick in the August. I had tonsillitis, mm. so my glands had come up, and I was like, yeah. I, I suffered with that for some strange reason. And um, so I was out of work for two weeks. I was like, oh, man, I got me pretty bad, man. I was like, it's never been that bad. But then a couple of weeks later maybe now maybe a month later i got sick again and i was like wait there no 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 this ain't right i've never been sick so close together in my whole life in my whole existence i've never been sick close together so i think the second time was actually covid that took me out as well it wasn't it was like a really bad flu i couldn't get up i was dehydrated completely um lost all the water um i couldn't walk i couldn't leave the bed i was i was out um uh, but but then after a couple of days, I was all right. But I can still taste and everything. Everything's still there. So um, I guess it's one of my things. And since then, I've had no issues at all. I came into contact with a couple of people who were actually were tested positive and never got anything. So yeah. okay. um, I don't know if I'm still like some sort of immune to it, but I don't know. Well, all my friends have been vaccinated. We've been vaccinated. And I, I you know, I'm glad that we're, we're emerging. New York is opening up. You know, they just... Mm -hmm. 
they've just announced that it'll everything will be open in July. Broadway shows are coming back in September. But I have to say that that doesn't that that doesn't uh, make me instantly happy because I'm thinking of India. I'm thinking of Madagascar. I'm thinking yep. of South Africa. Um, that's lovely that that is a country that we're emerging and that people have vac can get vaccination if, vaccinated if they choose to. Mm. But I'm I'm very worried and concerned and sad for for countries around the world because to me and, until we're all out of this thing it's not um, it's still there it's yeah. it's still it's still I'm um, I'm not just I'm not uh, a cheerleader just because the United States is is getting better I'm I'm very worried about other countries. Yeah, I think um, what you're seeing in India at the moment as well because it's really extreme at the moment. Although I still don't know if they're ahead of you guys with um, cases. Um, but what you see with India is, is basically, you know, everyone lives so close, you know, proximity is so close. So if one person gets infected, you know, it's going to be some severe collateral damage. You know, well, same thing in South Africa, same thing in Madagascar yeah. and actually same thing in New York city. That's why New York city got it so bad is because we all live on top of each other. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I forgot about that, but you automatically think with New York city, you think Western world, they're wealthy, they're good. Doctors have got it all under control. But then when you think of India, you're like, okay, the best doctors have left India. They're in America now. So who did they leave there? Yeah, no. I have to say, like, I, I was so, I have some friends in South Africa and I said, go get some Tylenol, at least have Tylenol. Mm. Because like I said, I found it so excruciating that the about the only solace I could get physically was from Tylenol. Mm. But my friend couldn't even find Tylenol. And I remember thinking, my God, uh, you know, the, after the pain that I endured and they don't even have, some, some of my friends couldn't even get Tylenol. It just, it just hurt my heart. I was yeah. like, oh, because yeah. I, I wouldn't wish the pain on anybody. No. So what do you think about the handling? Do you think that America was slow at handling it? I mean, I don't want you to expect you to dug your own country out, but do you think it was too slow? Uh, obviously it was um, the good yes. guy, you know, <laughs> regardless of what yeah. anyone thinks. Regardless of anyone we all have our own opinions over here and and people have extreme opinions just like the, yeah. the conspiracy theorists they have their opinions yeah and yeah. other people have their opinions yes i thought it was slow yeah you thought it was slow yeah. and 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 here's the thing like uh give it to americans americans are independent people mm -hmm. it's hard to tell americans that as a as corporately we need to do x y and z because that's mm -hmm. not our culture our culture is independent our culture is I am in charge of my own life and my own health and I'm going to do things how I want to do them. So it's, it's, I have to say, because that's our cultural heritage, our cultural background, it's hard for us to get into the vaccination mask kind of thing, because again, people, people call the shots, people live the life that they want to. And it's, it's just, it's hard as a culture for us to conform and do everything all together because we're just not set out. It, it our culture doesn't uh, foster that kind of, that yeah yeah that's just not that's not our culture so it's but but um for me you know masks all the way yeah i wear masks now even though i've been vaccinated and because i just it's my way of telling people i care about their health as well and that's just mm. how i look at it yeah actually um so i'm i'm located in germany at the moment um and we've actually just gone back into lockdown with no there's no future of us actually coming out at the moment simply because we don't have enough I think they said there's like, there's an 80 million population. And I think they said 30 million have got the first jab. 9% have got the two jabs. So we're so far behind. Like, for example, somewhere I'm from England, 
compared to England, they've got, I think they've pretty much vaccinated 50 million people out of the 60 that are there. And I'm like, how is Germany considered a better country than England at the moment economically? But for some reason, they're just still behind. And it's like, what, what is this? So I'm sitting here now inside. I'm not allowed to go out. I forgot we got a curfew. So we're not allowed to go out after 10. We have to be inside our house. And if anyone who goes out after 10 can be fined up to 5,000, I think, euros. So I completely understand. Like the Americans, I feel like you guys got the choice. And I would like to have that choice too. To, oh, yeah. The choice of my life. I don't like that someone out there can decide if I can go out or not. Especially because in the whole... Okay, apart from the case where I said I might have caught it two years ago, or in 2000, yeah, 2019, I've not had any, you know, problems with it up till now. Okay, I don't want any problems with it, but I've not had any, and I feel like I should be able to choose, you know, we'd, of course, with caution, if I can go and see somebody, a friend, or, you know, my family, I think that that's my human right, I guess. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I just, I, I just know for me, I wanted to get vaccinated. I'm very glad I had the opportunity to get vaccinated mm. and I feel very safe at this point. I, I tell you, sure, I felt safe anyway after having the, the, the virus because I felt like my body had fought that fight. Mm. I mean, I, I, I understand that people had it twice. I, I get that. Um, that. That could have happened again as well. And I certainly don't ever want to go that, through that experience again. I'm just glad again that that everybody can get vaccinated here. I'm very thankful for that if people choose to. And again, yeah, we have a we have an independent culture. People, that's that's how kind of our country began. And so so it carries on into a situation like this that that can that can put people on two different camps. And and certainly people have have very extreme opinions about vaccinations and masks and things like that, but that's what our country has fostered. And that's yeah. what we got. I just for you as I just going back quickly, um, the guy who did that last house standing documentary, he said the same thing about you. He echoed basically what you said about the Americans, they don't like to listen. I remember <laughs> that that stood out to me. I was like, oh, okay. So because I was I said to him, I said, why don't you just tell American people, okay, look, don't build your house on the beach because we have like threats of tornadoes and hurricanes. It's probably not a good idea. And he was like, they won't listen, they'll still do it anyway, because they don't want to be told what to do. I'm like, yo. I can't help you then. <laughs> I mean, I have to say, like, like you know, in in some ways, like so, me being from the south and me living in the north, you know, they they talk bad about each other. There's there's mm-hmm. cultural, you know, slams and saying, oh, the American South, blah blah blah. And they, the North is like this, but I feel like I see both both sides. I mean, I'm I'm mm-hmm. from I'm from both cultures. I've lived my adult life in the north, but I was born and raised deep in the south. So I feel like I get all sides. Yeah. Of course, I know in, in my perfect world, I would have my world set up, at, you know, America set up as A, B, and C. But at the same time, at one point I can say, hey, I think it's great that that we have that kind of cultural heritage that that we want to live uh, our human existence in, in a way that, that we see fit. And so I get that, but, but um, there's other part of me gets, you know, can get the other thing. So this is where it bites us in the butt. So yeah, yeah. I feel like I, I see all sides. I, and again, it, it, the fact is it's done. The fact is our culture is our culture and we just have to, we have to live with each other and we have to live with the fact that, that um, like, even in the same town that I'm at, I am, uh, my, my ideas and, and my politics and my, my likes and dislikes are completely and utterly at odds 
with my neighbor down the street. And that's just the way it goes. And um, yeah, I, I like to think that I, that I still have, um, I, I can still have compassion and not uh, be too judgy and, and, and not go to the dark side if, if somebody completely disagrees with me. Uh, <laughs> I wish everybody was like that. That's not the case. No, <laughs> no, nope. definitely not. Okay, so tell us about your two books. You got Out of the Shadow of 9-11 and faith in the face of COVID-19. Yeah. And I, you know, and I'm going to go ahead and just say like, the, both of them are, are my experiences of living through COVID, of living through 9-11. I approached the 9-11 book also like a New York City tour guide. So I have some facts and figures in there. And some of these stories that I told you about, like the boat evacuation, that's not a, a well-known story. Mm. But uh, the, the X factor is th they do have a Christian a slant to them because I did rely on my faith in both situations. So it might not be the book for, for everybody if they're not interested in hearing that, that particular angle. And I totally respect that. But I just wanted to put it out there that, that uh, one of the ways that I, that I was able to deal with both of these calamities in my life was to uh, fall on, on my, my, my faith and my belief system in the afterlife and 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 then in Jesus to to pull me through those really dark times. So so if anybody's interested in that angle, they might like my book. And again, I I am also just very honest and say like what I felt. And there's a lot of there's uh, there's a lot of, of detail and description that that um yeah of, of what it felt like to to go through both of those. So but yeah, so I spent um you know I wasn't a writer. I, I spent like five years on the first book and. The first one only took me about a, about a year. And I write a lot of articles on 9-11 and COVID ever since. But I have to say, writing is, is very creative. And it's also very cathartic. You know, you go through something, something life-changing. And everybody has different ways of dealing with it and adjusting to their new normal. And one way that um, I was able to kind of deal with it, move on, deal with PTSD is to write. So that's just my creative outlet. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, then let me know your handles. Obviously, we've come to the end of the show. It's a shame. I want to talk to you again, though. I need to talk to you. And, and, and you got to promise when I come. You're still in New York. You're still in New York, and yeah. yeah. When I come to New York again, because I've got to come. I've got to bring the kids. You know, my daughter's already like, I'm going to New York. I'm gonna... So when I come, I want to go on your tour guide. Absolutely. I'm going to, I'll give you, you and your family a private tour. And just oh. so you know, too, I'm, I am writing a third book, but next, my next book, it's going to be happy. It's going to be a happy <laughs> book. Hey, actually these books are happy though. Cause you survive. Yes. No, they are very happy. That's, that's, very, positive. Very happy. that's, that's positive. Positive. My next book is going to be about what I call tour guide shenanigans. Like some of the crazy things that have happened on my almost 30 years of being a tour guide. So it's going to be funny and fun. So, but at any rate, but yes, actually, and you get a you get a free tour, free tour for you. Yeah. Oh, actually, I wanted to ask you about that. What's some of the funny things? But actually, I'll wait for the book. Oh, that's want, another one. But I, I dude, I, I got a lot of. I could, I could imagine. <laughs> I can imagine. I All right. It. Um. Then tell me where we can find you. Your website, everything. Christina Ray Stanton. So Chris, uh, C H I S T I N A R A Y S T A N T O N. So Christina Ray, Christina Ray Stanton .com, and that's all my stuff. And we can find you on Facebook, Instagram. Uh-huh. Same, same old thing. YouTube. And I do want to mention something too. It might not mean a hill of beans, but I like to mention it anyway. <laughs> that that any any money I I ever would get from the books, or actually for that matter, any articles that I write, 
my husband and I established a nonprofit about four years ago okay. that is is meant to to help. Um, basically, um, I fell in love with South Africa <laughs> ten years oh, ago, yeah. and I support orphanages in South Africa. I, I was um, I have a, a, a passion for the AIDS epidemic and. So it it, um, it supports orphanages that that um, has people uh, kids who are affected and um, yeah. af affected by HIV. Um, but at any rate, so any 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 funds I ever get goes goes straight overseas. So um, awesome. just want to throw that out there. My my nonprofit's called LovingAllNations.org. That's also on my Christina Ray Stanton. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna go find out. I'm gonna see if I can make a donation. That's my, that's my actual passion is is um my love for south africa any any plans to move over there yeah <laughs> i love it yes <laughs> as a matter of fact i yeah I, the first time i went there was 2009 and i was like oh my god this is like home yeah and i've been back uh every year ever since so yeah, yeah. that's like me in brazil like oh, i'm okay. i'm i'm tr two years i want to be in brazil that's okay. it Two years. Yeah, funny how that happens. You know, sometimes you can just travel and you're like, um, hello, hallelujah. Yeah. If, that's, for I no reason. Yeah. Yeah, you just feel foreign in your own country. Like, actually, I don't even fit the culture. Like, I live in Germany now, so I don't even. I'm not like. I'm nothing like a German person. I do not belong here. I know that the Germans know that too. They make me know that I don't belong here. So I'm like, hey, I don't. I'm going to do you guys a favor and myself. I'm going to get out of this place as soon as possible. And that's what I'm going to do. So I'll give you another two years. I never felt at home in England either. I was like, I, I, England, it's home, but it's not home. Brazil now, I feel like, wow, this is my home. This is where I belong. So two more years and I'm out. Wow. I've suffered enough. Well, okay. So so here's my here's my my parting. I, if, you, if you're a Christian, you're not home here anyway, right? Oh, yeah, so we're, that's true, yeah. Yeah, if we're true. Christians, we're, we're pilgrims, and this isn't our home anyway. And um, so I do actually feel that way. And I do love America. I, I, I love my country, but, but um, yeah, you know, I love the world. I, yeah. I, I, I've always had a passion for, um, for other countries and I found kind of everything that means something to me in South Africa. So, all right, South Africa, I'm coming for you. <laughs> KwaZulu Natal, I love you. Yes. <laughs> all right, thanks for joining me. I'm gonna, I wanna get you back on because we need to talk about some of your adventures. I'm going to send yeah. you a new invite uh, a month or two down the line. I'm going to check. I'm going to check. But I won't forget. Yeah, don't worry. All right. All right. All right, then. Thanks a lot. Have Leave a, good a comment. Saturday. Subscribe. Yeah. Do all that stuff if you want to. It's up to you. Thank you, Christina. Bye, good night. Bye. Bye.